Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast here in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Dave Anderson. With me today, we have our producer, William Jeffries, and our once and future regular guest, Emmanuel Gennard. Today, we're going to be talking about steering a Kubernetes migration, a non-technical team member's voyage. Just generally, being a te- non-technical person on a technical project. We have a special guest today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Chris Grande. I'm a business analyst at 2U. We're an education technology company powering graduate programs. Hey, it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. So I heard that you're doing some cool stuff with Kubernetes. The Only the coolest stuff. It's so exciting. Like whenever I hear Kubernetes, I, I just, I'm psyched. <laughs> All the cool kids are doing it. That's... I did not originally know that <laughs> going into this project. But so when I told you you were on Kubernetes project, you weren't just like, yes. Just like so ready to put this on my resume. <laughs> I think it took me it took me a little while to even realize that the little steering, the blue steering wheel that was an emoji in Slack actually meant Kubernetes. It took me a little bit to pick up on. So if that shows you where I started with, yeah. Oh, yeah why a steering wheel? Why, you know, because of the ship and Kubernetes is steersman in Greek. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's so deep. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. Levels, there are levels to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what even is Kubernetes? I think we talked about it like briefly before, but maybe for people who are unfamiliar, be they technical or, or non-technical people, maybe we could give them a little intro. Okay, yeah. This I think my explanation will show you how non-technical I am, not to try to set the example, but hey. it is... <laughs> It is essentially the containerization of applications using pod structures. So what that essentially means, like in our context of a legacy system, is when we move things into Kubernetes, it made the deployment of our technology that much faster. The prior state for you guys was like actual physical machines or or like AWS hosted machines. AWS hosted machines, yeah. Okay. And just really white knuckle deployments. Oh, yeah. Usually, <laughs> they were about three hours bi-weekly on Thursdays. Oh, that's fun. That's that's a train you don't want to miss, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a big undertaking to like move all your infrastructure over to Kubernetes. Like, how, how did that come about? Like, how did people decide that they wanted to do that? That seems like a difficult project to get everyone on board with. Yeah, hard to get enough buy-in to move an entire organization with a massive software offering onto a completely new infrastructure tool like that. Yeah, it it was definitely quite a challenge. And it was one of those things that it started out as a dream that for, for many years, even at the early onset of and the early stages of the legacy system, it was like, oh, eventually this is where we will be or we could be. And it's going to be awesome. I have a dream. Yeah, the, I have a dream. Me. That's that's mm-hmm. And that's what it was for the longest, for the longest time. And then it started to be prioritized. We knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. And then we got to a point where some of the the bones of the legacy system started to have some like aches and cracks and, and whatnot. And it was at that point as some things started to come up that it was like, oh, wait. So, if we move this into Kubernetes now, this goes away? Okay, let's let's really talk about this. That's great. Like, So, the stars really align about like the business need for this thing as well as like the fun technology challenge that us on this side of the room are like really psyched about and i'm sure like initially you were you were kind of a bit perplexed about (laughs) 
Well, I was always perplexed is I think a really good term. I was like, hey, I know it's this thing. It's it's a project that we're embarking on. But seeing the excitement of a lot of the engineers at work who had been with the company for a while, like, oh, we've been talking about this and like we're finally able to do it and like it's a really new exploration and like actually getting to research it. That got I could tell how excited people were getting for that. And then translating it into a from a user perspective of like wait, we don't need downtime anymore. Like, we'll be up. That means like our students can do the stuff that they need to do early in the morning. We don't need all of this extra communication beforehand. Just things like that, that we were able to get, I was able to get excited about from a user perspective, but also our engineers, I could see it on their faces, be like, oh yeah, this is going to be big. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember I've been a consultant at 2U for almost two years now. And there are certain things we can only deploy every two weeks (laughs) because they depended on the legacy system that could only be deployed every two weeks on Thursday mornings for, you know, with a three hour downtime. And so we had to always kind of coordinate our like PRs to be merged into master at a certain time (laughs) in the, in the new app we're working on because the old app, because it depended on something in the old app. And the changes there had to be, we couldn't tag and deploy that thing until the old app, the old legacy system had the the new code for it that would support it. So it was was really fun. <laughs> That's going to be a challenge, especially since you guys have probably had your own d- deadlines that yes. you were working on. Yes, yes, yes. There were, I mean, there were times where it's like, oh, hey, we need to, we got to fix for this big bug. It, it needs, it needs to go out this Thursday. If it's Tuesday, all that urgency starts to kind of fall on to you. And you're like, okay, we have to totally shift our priorities now to make sure this gets done for Thursday. Yeah, that's disruptive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what what was it like kind of transitioning from being like, you know, a domain expert who like knows the business and like can really call the shots in some ways about like, you know, what's important in different scenarios and then kind of moving into... A technical team where you're kind of like the odd man out. It was really tough. I think for two reasons. One, just not having the very specific technical expertise. Like my background isn't even very technical. I was I've been in operations most of my career. So to be able to get into something that was super technical and not be able to kind of ex- explain it for me, that was very tough. Like it kind of existed in in the ether, and I couldn't visualize it. The way like you could a user interface of like doing acceptance criteria as a business analyst of saying, okay, I can see this. I went through this whole test flow. This is good. I can accept this. There was a lot of having a lot of trust in the engineers who were having the discussions about what it would look like and saying, okay, if you think this is what it should look like and this is how it should be done, great. And then just giving the input of like, how does this now affect our users? What does this ultimately mean? What are the consequences of this? Usually the business analyst would be the one who would accept stories, QA them, give the engineers feedback about things. How how were you able to do that or were you able to do that in this project? Yes and no. There were there were some tickets that I I could actually accept because it did end up face like affecting a user mm-hmm. or oh I need to do regression on this one piece of functionality because we kind of we've touched it or we've we've changed it as we have moved it over. But then there are a lot of things that are just happening in the background and behind the scenes that I couldn't couldn't test at all. So that's and then a lot of trust went into the engineers of even just them working with one another to kind of say, 
oh, hey, no, maybe we should do it this way uh-huh. or and like they they had each other's backs that way. And uh-huh. I think we were able to function really well. So it sounds like the role became less less and more like a BA and, and more like a I don't know what I don't know how to describe it, a a glue guy. <laughs> it's a weird way to say it. <laughs> right? Between sort of helping the team uh, like, you know, did you help with the backlog and I know you did you help with like communicating what was happening to other people without throughout the company and things like that? Yes. Yeah, so the one of the big parts of, of my role was definitely the communications, both internally setting up success for our team to communicate, even that if that was something simple like having the Slack channel created, saying like what is our cadence of stand-ups and, and retros and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. making sure that we actually had a structure of communication that we could rely on. Also, communicating externally, that allowed me to give the team space because if I was doing my job well, letting other people know what was going on, they could call out things that we may not have caught early on. They could give their input that way. And then also trying to coordinate things like deployments and letting our support teams know what was going to be happening so that we could manage their expectations and give us give ourselves the runway to deploy when we needed or even take extra downtime when necessary, which mm. was something we had to navigate. Right. And like translating what the status of all these nerds are doing. <laughs> <laughs> the download essentially of, okay, you have said all of these things. This sounds very good. I can see that the team is is excited or maybe not excited. Maybe something's like, uh-oh something's up. Mm. Being able to pick up on that and dig into that and say, okay, what what does this mean? So what does this mean for our end user? What does this mean for other teams we're working with? Who do I need to talk to? So did you start to have a better understanding of Kubernetes and the technology that was like kind of underlying the platform? Like what was something surprising that you, you learned about it along the way? I think understanding what containerization meant and how pods were restarting so that the application could keep running, but that pods could be restarting during that time meant that we could essentially keep our platform running without having to take it down, but we could do the deployments that we needed. So -hmm. that was one of the technical things I picked up. I was able to, to understand and translate into layman's terms. And then ultimately with the big keyword being, oh yeah, no, no downtime now. <laughs> right. The whole bit, bit business value was no more no downtime deployment. I yeah. Mean, no more downtime deployment. It's the dream of orchestration. Yeah. Even what? being able to go to the table, like, hey, we need extra downtime. We're working on Kubernetes. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. We're not going to have downtime anymore. They're like, <laughs> okay, if you need if you need anything else, let us know. <laughs> like, this sounds great. <laughs> that wasn't like a, that wasn't really a hard sell to our stakeholders once we had the resources to focus on it. Just making friends. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Were there any metaphors that you found helpful for understanding what was going on? Like, you know, Kubernetes, they talk about shipping as part of the core of the metaphor. Like we talked about what the word actually means. Oh, mm-hmm. shipping. I yeah, love yeah. it. I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it sounded like the pod explanation was helpful. Were there any other metaphors people used? I don't think there were too many other metaphors, which I probably could have actually done a better job to really like boil it down and explain it. But I think w- one of the things that I appreciated about Kubernetes and even about the, the the engineers I was working with was it was simple enough to understand that concept and how what that meant for our technology. Yeah, I like I like friend of the show Dane's explanation of that's just jars and boxes and 
I don't know. They're, he doesn't Jars really get it. Boxes? <laughs> the what containers is- are boxes and you're trying to stack them up and the mm-hmm. thing and I, I can't do it as good as he can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a wonderful metaphor that a friend of the show, Dan O'Connor, provided for a team that was working on Kubernetes and it goes like this. Imagine that there are a bunch of vases. You make a vase and I make a vase and Emmanuel makes a vase. Mm-hmm. And They're all beautiful in their own way. Totally <laughs> unique and perfect and special. Just little snowflake amazing vases. And then you need to get those vases to the store where you're going to sell them, for example. And if you try and stack them on top of each other, because this one's pointy and this one's round and this one's square and this one's oval, there's no way you're ever going to get them to stay stacked. So what do you do? You put them in containers. I love this. Every single one goes in a little box and the boxes are all standard and then you can stack up the boxes. What Kubernetes helps you to do is stack and move your boxes. Oh, I don't know where the... Boats come in. Maybe they're <laughs> the boxes yeah. go on the boat. The yeah. boxes go yeah. on the boat. Yeah, it's right. the shipping containers. Right. The shipping container. <laughs> you you have maybe the vases are just giant vases that need to be put in shipping containers. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's really a better explanation of Docker, I think, than it is of Kubernetes. Yeah. Kubernetes has <laughs> <laughs> well, some more we'll, complicated we'll stuff. If he's figured out the next level of the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I for me the metaphor for for Kubernetes was the conductor. Mm. So Kubernetes is the conductor of the orchestra and he's orchestrating the cloud. So he's mm. saying, okay, you know, the, the flutes in the back now is your, your time, you know, flutist number two, you're going to take over for flutist number one now, and we're going to swap flutist number one out because he needs some maintenance. And the music needs to keep playing. Right. <laughs> you can't, you can't skip a beat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really fit in with the whole shipping thing. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. I'm, I feel like these are much better... <laughs> better metaphors than we had originally conjured up <laughs> the jars and the boxes especially yeah it does i now remember one of the ways that our engineering league put it he's like so we have this legacy technology it's getting old it's kind of a pile of crap we're putting the pile of crap in a shiny new box it's gonna look really good <laughs> yeah that's all that's all you need to know yeah. and you're like all right, cool. <laughs> the ultimate point he was getting to is like, once it's in here, it doesn't mean it's done. Like just mm-hmm. an FYI, we still need to maintain this and all of that. So mm-hmm. it was, he was getting to a conclusion, but I was like, mm. God, okay, cool. <laughs> but at its core, it's a pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, it'll go very fast. Yeah. You oh know. man, it's, the fa- it's never been faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as it's doing what it needs to do. That's yeah. important. All right. So you've put, you know, your either the beautiful, unique vase or the pile of crap in a shiny new box. Uh, was it all, to go back to the sailing and shipping metaphor, was it, was it all smooth sailing? Definitely not. I think definitely at the inception, that was the toughest time because this a new team essentially had to come together to focus on this project. And with this new team coming together, there were a lot of, it was new people working together, which is always exciting, but also you need to kind of figure out the dynamics. Yeah, storming. And- that's Stormy. part of the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. You, you were in a storm. Yes. Yeah. The, the, it was a storm at the beginning, very much yeah. so. Odysseus. A tempest. <laughs> oh, a tempest per se. Yeah. I feel like there might even be another metaphor, like the sirens come in there trying oh. to get people off. Like, hey, here's this other thing. You want to oh, come yes. to this? Like, you you want to come to Who are the sirens? No, one of the sirens, one of the, one of the engineers went to work for another company. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. it, was not, it was not because of, it was not because of this project, but we're talking about sirens getting people off yeah. of the boat. This uh, that's a uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's also like a a big a big block of work, like something that's hard to visualize what done even looks like. I, I'm sure that was a challenge. The visualization of it all was was hard. It was more of a conceptual visualization of like we will get to this future state. That was the vision in the terms of like, hey, what could the future look like? But when we talk about actually visualizing something the way we would a UI, that didn't exist. We got glimpses of that through like demos of our engineers pushing the button in Jenkins. And then we see the pipeline go green and it was like, woohoo, this is awesome. It's green. Buttons. Yeah, buttons. (laughs) That's good. But then like when you start to dig into like, what does that really mean? You're then showing something like, normally this took three hours. How long did this take? Two, three minutes. All right, cool. Like you see it that way and you're like, oh man, this is awesome. That gets people real jazzed. <laughs> How'd you help like manage the work for a team like that where like the backlog is innately technical? Like it, it's not immediately a user-driven feature. I think that started early on with planning. I think that some preliminary work had been done. So we knew buckets of work and those kind of went into their own epics as we really like buckled down and said, hey, if this is a deadline we're driving to, what is the most important? It was kind of ruthless. Like during that time, you throw out like documentation that we were planning on doing, like this will come afterwards. This is not going to happen right now. Or what is anything that needs to happen by this date? That should be the most important stuff. And then just making sure that the backlog only had that in it and remove all other distractions. So sometimes you actually, an engineer might pick something up because they think it's important. And then we would have to revisit like and the engineering lead and I would coordinate a lot on this of like, okay, do they need to be working on that right now? Probably not. Let's, let's call that out before they spend too much more time on it. Always coming back. What, what kind of things ended up being de- deprioritized there? Or? Documentation was one of them. There were some pieces of alerting that we wanted to kind of take out. We got a lot of it in, but then there was this like dream world of where it could all be and what it could all look like. And, that mm-hmm. kind of got pushed aside. And then some more technical aspects that I don't even know if I could speak to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy to get carried away with these things yeah. when there isn't really anything user-facing for anybody to see. It's like, wow, I could, I mean, I could work on this indefinitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was plenty of work to do, definitely. Mm-hmm. So what are some big lessons learned from us? This, this was a, a major undertaking. I think one of the biggest lessons learned, and this might be just appreciating the importance of it, but but trust. Trusting in people who are on two different sides of a spectrum of very technical and needing to get technical work done. And then someone who is not technical, who is responsible for protecting this team's time and energy and handling all the outside stuff so that the engineers can actually get into what they need to do. So right. the you gotta, you gotta trust. trust you gotta trust that that green button in Jenkins actually means something good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and when when you have the conversations of like, oh hey, this is important, we should do this, actually not being afraid to push back and say, Why do we need to do this? Is there another way we can do this? And asking exploratory questions like that, even though I may not know the technicalities of it, that would at least facilitate more more thought and different approaches collect like for our group to tackle collectively. Stop people from getting like stuck in, in the weeds a little bit. Right. What about some things you'd like to avoid if you had to do it all again? I think we would avoid or maybe kind of the inverse of that is almost we could have facilitated knowledge share better uh, off the bat and talked about that. I think 
engineers got into some silos and that kind of made conversations later on difficult and it kind of just said, okay, this is your expertise. This is what you're going to work on, which might be tough when you're going to a deadline. But at the same time, if you get ahead of that and start knowledge sharing, I think that pays dividends later on. Yeah, totally. So if you were advising a friend who was considering doing a, a Kubernetes project. Is that you? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> not at the moment. Maybe maybe later. What would be the things that you would ask them to consider or, or what would make you recommend to them? Yes, now is the time to get on Kubernetes. I mean, just seeing how much smoother our application is, a reduction in incidences and degradation of service. And also the ability is like, hey, there's a lot of use happening right now. We need to spin up more containers. That's a good thing. Like Mm -hmm. we are able to respond when it looks like the system is slowing down, which is amazing. And also just being able to deploy whenever we want makes our lives so much easier. So if there is a critical bug or something like that, we can put that out pretty quickly. It allows us to deliver value to our users more frequently and in smaller chunks. And by doing that, we're also reducing risk of deploying a lot of things at once that can kind of trip over one another, which is another issue we ran into when we were doing bi-weekly deployments. Oh, yes. Yeah. Continuous delivery. Continuous delivery. So if you had it to do over again, what would you do differently? I think we would have managed expectations about around what was expected of the team. So mm. out to management, when this team came together, there were a couple of different assignments put on. It's like, okay, you need to move all of this over to Kubernetes for this one partner in particular, but we also want you to maintain the legacy platform. And we kind of sat on that for a while and we kind of danced around it and tried to avoid it. And I think having had a conversation earlier on with the engineering lead and myself, which we ultimately did and we had multiple conversations. If we had gotten ahead of that, I think we would have saved ourselves a lot of time mm-hmm. and a lot of unnecessary stress. Cool. Have you ever pushed the button yourself, done the deployment? No. No, that's probably... I don't even know if they would let me do it. <laughs> I don't know. It would have to be under strict supervision. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I think I can definitely, Grande. You, <laughs> you're definitely the, the Kubernetes of, of the ship and you should be able to steer it wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I would like to, now that it comes up though, I think I do want to press the button. <laughs> awesome. Somebody needs to Arduino that and get an actual big red button. Oh, the easy button. That would be so fun. <laughs> that would be amazing. I am sure we can swing that somehow. I'm sure the security teams would probably not like that, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> maybe it's part of like a two-factor thing. You have to have the button and know the password. <laughs> or oh, maybe you need two keys. Like as if it's like uh, you're in a nuclear submarine. Yes. You need to turn the keys at the same, <laughs> same time. time. Oh, wow. That's the next, that's the next you big project. To, <laughs> yeah. You have to be playing Welcome to the Danger Zone. <laughs> I think I have my next hackathon project. This sounds phenomenal. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Chris, it was great for you to take us along on this voyage. Really appreciate it. Manuel, once in future regular guest. <laughs> I, was, I was happy to be a passenger on this ship. <laughs> <laughs> William, always a pleasure. Yeah, great view from the crow's nest. Oh, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> Does anybody I'm, else have any more puns? I'm just here yeah. swabbing the deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, how can people get in touch with you, Chris? You can find me on LinkedIn under Christopher Grande. The one and only. The one and only. I'm sure there are many Not others. to you, but I'm the real one. <laughs> 
Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and our amazing host, Michael Nunez, who's out being a dad, and me, your host, Dave Anderson, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. Thank you.